What's up, party people? Welcome to Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. And you can find me at that handle on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter as well, if you're into that. You know, whatever. Oh my gosh, if I were going to do Stefan voice for this one, today we're going to be talking about the clue in the jewel box. Like, oh my god, it's got it all. We've got, like, people who are not twins, but pretty much are twins. We've got people stealing shit. We've got Ned. Oh, my God, so much Ned. Oh, my God. So, yes, buckle up. It's going to be good. This book starts off with Nancy in a department store. She's looking for something for her dad for his birthday. And for those of you who are like, hold up, was she not just looking for a gift for his birthday like two books ago? You are correct. Which raises some really weird questions. Uh, the series started in 1930. Um, and we're now in 1943. So we're actually like into World War II at this point. Um, so technically she should be like, I don't know, almost about 30. But she's definitely not like, we've hit the point where they're no longer mentioning her age. She's just in this vague space after high school. So, you know, the usual. Um but the fact that her father's having another birthday, like, it's like time's passing, but it's also not. So, yeah, like, the feeling is still that she's probably about 18, but that's that's not going to be established for a while. Um, So she's looking for a gift for her dad, and the guy at the jewelry store is like, oh my god, I've got this really cute thing for him. And Nancy's like, I don't know, because he knows who she is, because, of course, they're in fucking River Heights. Also... As a nod to the war, Nancy is walking or biking like fucking everywhere in this one, which I thought was really interesting because before this point, there's not been a lot of that. And in this one, it's very much, even though they never mentioned like gas conservation or anything and her father is still driving, like Nancy's like, I'm just gonna get on my bicycle for reasons that are not at all related to health. Um, Nancy is supposed to meet up with Bess and George after she goes on her shopping trip, which is fruitless. And when she's waiting at the tea room in the department store, she sees this old lady who was like, oh, I have the vapors. And Nancy's like, oh, hey, what, what's up? And so she, like, escorts the woman to a chair. The woman's like, please take me home. I've had an attack. And Nancy's like, this feels slightly sketch because the woman has a faint accent. But what trumps that, of course, is that she is, she's got that shabby aristocratic air, which Nancy is like, you are a white person who is down on your luck, and I'm 100% here for you in all ways. Tell me what you need. So even though the woman, and she's rocking a half veil, like, how could you be more clear that you are someone to be trusted? If it were a full veil, we would have questions. Anyway, so Bess and George pop up at that very moment, and Nancy's like, this old woman needs our help, and they're like, let's get in the car. So they escort her out to a taxi, one of the only times in this book that they're actually in a vehicle. And she um, directs the cab to take her home, and when they pull up, it's like a modest house, like it's not anything super elaborate, but there's a maid who answers the door, and when they walk in, like, it looks like a fucking museum in there. Like, we've got tapestries, we've got all sorts of, like, little porcelain objects. Like, she has tricked out this place. This crib is nice. And Nancy's looking around, she's like, I have some follow-up questions. And the woman's like, oh my god, you, you guys are so kind to me. Can I please get your, like, name so that I can, like, send you a thank you note? And Nancy's like, my god, the manners on this lady yes, all the yes. I, I want to know everything. I want to know everything about this house. But of course, Nancy is very polite. And she's like, oh, um, you don't have to thank us. It's fine. Um, but Nancy is still trying to find something for her dad. And when she's looking around the house, she's like, oh, I've been looking for something for my dad. And the old woman is like, oh, well, you should 100% go see my friend, Mr. Faber. He is fantastic. And Nancy's like, oh, oh cool. Okay. She's like, he will have something for your father. And Nancy's like, Thank you, fortune teller. Um, <laughs> so they walk, actually, to go to Mr. Favors. And on their way there, Nancy, Bess, and George hear somebody screaming, like, he stole my purse. Like, spoiler, every 10 pages in this book, somebody's purse and or wallet is being stolen. Like, there is a crime spree in River Heights. And, oh, my God, everybody's just getting ripped off. So they hear somebody screaming. They see somebody running away. 
Um, the guy that the cops tracked down is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything. They search him. He doesn't have anything. So in the course of all this, Nancy meets a guy named David who is like, oh, well, I'm a good person. And I just happen to look like this pickpocket, which if you're feeling suspicious, you should be. But anyway, so the cops are like, well, you don't have it on you. We're going to let you go. And they find the wallet, which is empty. So, you know, there's there's no way to tell, you know, whoever is has a bunch of cash and how are we going to know? So Nancy goes to see Mr. Faber, who of course is fantastic and is like, I am going to get your father the perfect piece. I do not have it like here, but I'm going to find the fucking perfect piece for your dad. And Nancy's like, damn right you are. He deserves every bit of it. He is the best in all possible ways. And Mr. Faber's like, of course he is. He is a cultured, fantastic gentleman. So there's just a shit ton that happens in this book. After she leaves Mr. Faber's store, she sees the guy who she thinks is the pickpocket. And so she like runs after him onto a ferry and then a storm kicks up and then they run into another boat and everybody's screaming. And like, it's just like, it's kind of weird. Like if Nancy enters your vessel, please understand that either you are going to be blessed or damned. (laughs) all sorts of shit's going to go down, or you're going to find sunken treasure. Like, it's going to be one of those things. She is not going to go for half measures. So, but the pickpocket manages to get off the ship, and she actually sees the person, like, pickpocketing other people on the boat, and she's like, stop, thief, and this guy's actually pretty subtle. Like, he's getting it done. So, they're not going to figure out who it is until the end of the book, of course. So, Nancy goes home, Um, she tells her dad everything's going on, uh, and her dad's like, oh, BTW, I also got pickpocketed today, because it's just been that kind of day, and Nancy's like, shit, really? And he's like, yeah, I had like $3,000 in my wallet, and Nancy's like, why the fuck were you carrying $3,000? And her dad's like, it was a donation to the boys club, not the boys and girls club, which I thought was interesting, it's the boys club, um, the River Heights Boys Club apparently has their patron saint is Carson Drew, and he is here for them in all ways that he can be. So Carson's like, yeah, if you can find out who got this, that'd be fantastic, because otherwise I'm going to have to pay it back, which is not great. And you're like, Carson, sweetheart, you've been paying like ridiculous ransom amounts for Nancy. We know about this. Like, you can probably cough up 3K, like no big deal, but it's fine. Um, Let me think. There's just like so much fucking stuff going on in this book like it's just a ridiculous amount of things um when nancy's like trying to find the pickpocket she finds something that she's pretty sure the pickpocket dropped and out of the wallet because she noticed that the guy who said his his pocket had been picked he said his name was francis Baum. and when she goes to the police station afterward to find out who it is because she wants to return this thing that she's pretty sure fell out of his wallet they're like oh we didn't get his address and nancy's like you're the worst cops in the entire fucking world (laughs) She doesn't actually say that. This is also one of the first books that has Chief McGinnis, but he's not referred to as Chief. He's, like, Captain, I think. Captain McGinnis. But anyway. Um, but what she found was a picture of a little boy with a sailor suit. And what tricked her off about that was when she was taking the old lady back to her house, um, the old lady literally spilled her purse all over the floorboard of the taxi and one thing that fell out was a picture of a little boy in a sailor suit and it's the same picture so the old woman has it and the probably Francis Baum had it in his wallet based on everything that Nancy knows up to this point so she sees that and she's like this feels connected so hmm so she leaves a note for Francis Baum to once she finally tracks him down she's like she finds a boarding house and then he has a forwarding address and blah blah so anyway she finally um, manages to leave a note for him at the boarding house and say hey I've got something that I think fell out of your wallet if you could just um, contact me to get it back and scene um the other thing that happens and I'm gonna have no fucking clue as to the timelines of this damn book because so much shit happens like there's a day where I'm not sure that she sleeps at all <laughs> she's just powering through Um, The other thing that happens is Nancy's old friend, Helen, who is from like the first books in the series, who spent some time in Europe and is super cultured and also is like, it's kind of weird. She's kind of more high society than Bess and George seem to be. Like Bess and George seem to be slightly 
And I do mean like the barest gradation, slightly lower class than Nancy. Like they are on the same level. It's just like they're not elevated above her. But Helen definitely feels like she moves in that kind of like society circles where she's going to like garden teas and all sorts of shit. So she runs into Nancy and she's like, hey, I want you to meet my new best friend, Catherine. And Nancy's like, hey, girl, hey. And Catherine's like, you would be perfect to model a dress in a fashion show for me. So apparently Catherine is an immigrant from, they never specify the country. We just know that it's European and therefore white. Um, Catherine is a fashion designer and she's about to show off some dresses in a River Heights like country club fashion show thing. And whoever wins is going to have a lot of publicity and get a lot of business off it. And since Catherine's just getting her feet under her, like, it would be fantastic if she could win that bitch. So Nancy's like, girl, I am here for you. If you want me to, I, I would be happy to. I would be just delighted to model for you. And Catherine's like, oh, my God, yes. So for the exactly one of you that I know is into fashion, um, Catherine designs for Nancy a Renaissance-inspired gown in blue-flowered silk. And it's got a train because, of course, it fucking does. Um, we don't know that much else about it. We just know that it's got, like, really good lines. And it, of course, suits Nancy to a T. And um, after she tries it on, which this is the thing. Like, Nancy's told about this. And I think it's, like, Sunday when she's told about this. And the fashion show is on Thursday. And Nancy's like, can you actually, like, do a dress in that time? And Catherine's like, of course I can. I can knock that bitch out in, like, 48 hours. Which... This is not Project Runway. Like, I've I've got a bunch of follow-up questions. Because to me, that feels like a super short timeline. Especially if you're wanting to knock people's socks off in a fashion show. But, I mean, maybe it's possible. IDK. I ain't that bitch. So, anyway. um, So, she puts it on Nancy and she's like, oh my god, you need, like, an epic headdress. Like, something like a tiara. Like, I'm not even sure. I don't, I know that I don't have it. And Nancy's like... Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that I don't have anything because Hannah was never really into that shit. And I'm like, girl, at this point, I think that they're actually starting to retcon when Nancy's mom died because she's like, yeah, she's been around for as long as I can remember. And my mom died a long time ago. And I'm like, uh, original Nancy was 16 and her mom died when she was 10. So she would remember her mom pretty well. Like we're starting to kind of backtrack on that which, okay. Anyway, so ultimately they decide to borrow something from Madame Alexandra because I think Nancy actually goes to Mr. Faber first and he's like, no, no, Madame will have something. Back up, side note. Madame Alexandra is, honestly, it's like the Anastasia story, honestly, which I've only heard about recently. Um, so Madame Alexandra, her entire family was apparently killed in a revolution. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is Anastasia. Um, so she managed to escape the country. Um, but she's also trying to track down her grandson. Like Madame Alexandra is like, he got out, um, his nurse managed to smuggle him out of the country, but we were we didn't go out at the same time, so I'm not sure where he is, um, but I really, really would love to be reunited with him. So Nancy's like, so this picture of the little boy in the sailor suit, and she's like, yes, that's him, that's him, and Nancy's like, okay, because she doesn't want to say anything, because she knows that Francis Baum dropped the picture, so she's like, maybe it's Francis Baum, but also Nancy doesn't love him, like, the brief interaction she had with him, she was like, he just left a bad taste in my mouth, like, I ain't into it, I ain't here for that. So she's still trying to like figure out if this guy maybe could be the missing grandson, but she's kind of iffy on it. So anyway, Madame Alexandra um, has a bunch of shit that apparently Mr. Faber helped her recollect. Like a lot of it was was sold or stolen or anyway, he was able to get his hands on it and smuggle a lot of it into the country for her. Like she purchased it, but anyway. So she has like the perfect thing for Nancy and it's like this diamond and ruby head dress like it's it's a really nice piece and when she takes it out and shows it to Nancy Nancy's like um I I can't take this like there is no fucking way I can take this and Madame Alexandra is like 
no, you, you need to wear this. This would be fantastic. You're trying to help me look for my grandson, like consider this kind of payment in advance because this means a lot to me. So yeah, you're going to wear it. And Nancy's like, uh, I'll borrow it for the fashion show, but I'm, I'm not saying that I'm taking it. And Alexandra's like, if that's what you'll do, then that's what you'll do. That's okay. So her servant, Anna, wraps it up for Nancy and Nancy leaves the house and she's like kind of daydreaming about everything that's going on. And of course, the damn thing is pickpocketed off her, like almost immediately. She's walking and somebody jostles her. And then David, that bitch who you'll remember from her, <laughs> she says as she gives away the ending, um, David like stops by and is like, hey, um, you want to ride home? And Nancy's like, no, thank you. I don't accept rides from weird guys because she's run into like two or three other situations where she's seen David in a crowd and he's like, because he looks so much like the pickpocket, he's like, let's figure out some symbol so that you know that it's me. So I will wave my handkerchief and that's, that's how you know it is me. And Nancy's like, sure. Okay. okay. Because, you know, she doesn't want to keep accusing this guy of being a pickpocket when he clearly isn't. So she runs into the guy. She's like, stop thief. And then he turns around and waves his handkerchief and she's like, oh, okay. It's, it's him. Shit. It's, it's gotta be the other guy. Shit. So so he waves his handkerchief and he's like, it's me. You want to ride home? And Nancy's like, no, thanks. But she gets home and finds that the package now has a big old dirty rock in it. <laughs> Which honestly, I was like, I am impressed by the skill level for Nancy to be like, oh, I was jostled slightly. And then she gets home and finds out that the package has been like completely swapped out. So, so she's in like fucking tears because she's like, oh my God, I cannot believe I lost this bitch. So she calls the police and they're like, okay, we'll be on the lookout for it. And then Hannah's like, you have got to call the old lady and tell her that what happened. And Nancy's like, this is the worst fucking thing that has ever happened. So she drags her sad ass back to Madame Alexandra's house. And she's like, I am so fucking sorry. But like literally as soon as I left here, um, somebody stole that bitch. And Madame Alexandra's like, I can't believe that. Nana's like, so funny story. Um, when I wrapped it up for you, I gave you the fake one. And Nancy's like, you did not. And Nana's like, I 100% did. I've still got the real one. And Madam Alexandra's like, yeah, that was like a version that we had made back before we could find the real piece. So you're good, girl. Like that one ain't worth shit. You need to wear the real one. Like it's going to look fantastic. And Nancy's like, look, I do not want to leave the house with it, given what just happened. So let's just put a pin in that. And Madam Alexandra's like, okay, so just leave it here until the day of, and then you can come pick it up and take it straight there and cool. And Nancy's like, that would be so much fucking better. Nancy has found out that Catherine is also from the same country that Madam Alexandra's from, because of course, that is the way these books work. That, that level of synchronicity is 100% in operation at all times. So she invites, she's like, can I invite Catherine over? She's from where you're from. And so they chat and one like treasured possession she has, and it's never referred to this way. It's just described this way as a Fabergé egg. Um, Mr. Faber, his father designed it. And I was like, so it's Fabergé. Like, I guess you didn't want to throw it in there because it's probably trademarked, but it's a Fabergé egg. So it's like absolutely gorgeous. There's the pick, the cover of this book is one of the, the version that I'm reading anyway, is Nancy is wearing this like powder pink pant. Like it's probably a, actually a skirt suit. And she's, standing with an old lady who is holding this thing that looks like just like an oversized compact. Like it ain't at all the way I pictured it. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so she let Nancy look at it because Anna was like, Oh, you should show her the egg. So Nancy, Bess and George were all able to see the egg and the egg has a little nightingale in it. And if you press this little thing, it sings a song and Nancy, Bess, and George are talking about it after, and they're like, it didn't sound quite right. Like, I don't know what about it didn't sound quite right, but it just didn't. So, um, Nancy, like, sings a little hint of it to Catherine, because it's been stuck in her head all day, and Catherine's like, that sounds like words in my native language, and Nancy's like, oh. So, when she has Catherine listen to the nightingale, like, she manages to engineer that, Catherine's like, 
Yeah, I think it's saying that the clue is in the jewel box. Like, that's gibberish. And Nancy's like, no, no. Guess what bitch is 100% here for that? This one. So, um, Catherine's, like, super sweet. And she's she gets along with Madame Alexandra, like, great. And, of course, she recognizes her for the aristocratic bitch that she is. Although, Madame Alexandra does have fits. Like, she... Not like epileptic fits, but definitely like fits of weakness or weak heart. Or it's never really explained because, you know, she's she's an old lady. She's just got some shit going on. We just need to deal with that. So there's also a point earlier in the book where Nancy gets home. And I think this is after she's been in the half shipwreck. <laughs> where they're like, I know that we hit another boat, but it's fine. When she's trying to trail the pickpocket, she gets home and her dad's like, did you forget that we have a father-daughter picnic with a bunch of other people? And Nancy's like, clearly, yes. I'll be right back. Um, The funniest thing that I had read in that book to that point was that it was like with a bunch of lawyers and judges and their daughters is what the picnic was. And they were playing some game and one of the father's is carrying a compact for his daughter. It's an enameled compact and it falls out of his pocket and onto the ground and it breaks. And he's like, these girls and all of their beauty gadgets, why do not they not have pockets that will hold them? And I'm like, bitch, you want to pause for like a solid hour so that I can bitch about this? Because I, I will 100% will. But somebody else in the group is like, so there was this like ancient Egyptian recipe for unbreakable enamel that we just can't find anymore and so they have this little segue that's like I just wanted you to know that this is a thing and whoever comes up with it would make a lot of money I am mentioning this for no reason it's totally fine which if you were thrown off by like limericks to luggage in other episodes you'd be like I don't know I I think it's gonna be weird though because I think this is gonna connect up later this just doesn't feel like something organic (laughs) So, um, Nancy eventually finds out that the jewel box in question is shaped like a footman. And Madame Alexandra's like, do you notice anything weird about this? And Nancy's like, that it's a footman, kind of? And she's like, it's, it looks exactly like my footman. Is that not the cutest thing? And Nancy's like, that's adorable. Was he killed in the revolution? Because I have follow-up questions. But anyway, so she's got like a few pieces of jewelry in there and a stone and everything, but there's nothing in there that like really seems like a clue that goes along with what the nightingale was saying. So anyway, uh, Nancy needs that headdress cause she got some shit to do. So she goes to the fashion show and like, she's modeling the dress. She's doing her damnedest. Like she's really nervous because she wants to do a great job for Catherine. And one of the floorboards comes loose and she like falls on her ass. <laughs> She doesn't actually fall on her ass. She, like, falls into the crowd, actually. And this guy, like, manages to catch her as she's falling down. He's like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm so fucking embarrassed right now that I could literally die. And the guy's like, no, no, you did great. Just just get back up there. You can do it. And she's like, thanks, guy. Thanks. Um, One afternoon, and I think it's, like, very close to when this happens, but not exactly right here. Um, Nancy's just sitting at home when the doorbell rings. And who walks in but fucking Ned Nickerson, buddy? And Nancy's like, oh my God, you're home? And he's like, yeah, I just got home a couple hours ago from lifeguarding at a boys camp for the summer. And Nancy's like, hell yeah, you did. Why did you not tell me that you were coming home today? And Ned's like, well, I didn't know. And Nancy's like, because I've got a date tonight. And Ned's like, okay, so can we hang out tomorrow night? And Nancy's like, a fashion show. And he's like, okay, tomorrow at lunchtime. And Nancy's like, fuck yeah. So (laughs) here's what I love about this. First off, like as soon as he walks in, he grabs her hand and she's like, I know that a lot of guys like to date me, but Ned is by far my favorite. And I'm like, girl, you know it. You know that you are running a harem out of here and he is your favorite hoe. But anyway, so yeah, like, oh my God, they're just so fucking cute together. You guys, they're so fucking cute. Oh my God. Um, anyway, so another thing that I love about this, other than Ned grabbing her hand and Nancy being like, hell yeah, you know you want a piece of this, is that there is zero detail given about this date that she talks about. There is no, there is no mention of who was with her, what it was, anything. It is exactly that forgettable. Like, Ned was not there. 
all the colors had faded to nothing. Like, there was no vibrancy left in the world because her man was not with her. Anyway, so the next day he's like, okay, let's go to a carnival because, again, circuses and carnivals. Circuses and carnivals. It makes me think about, like, the traveling salesman, like, that kind of Wild West show that it's like, well, we don't have a lot of TV. In fact, at this point, we have none. So what else we got? So anyway, they go they go to the carnival, and they're just riding all the rides, and they ride the roller coaster, which Nancy, of course, clings to Ned when they're riding it, and he's like, all of this, and he wants to ride it again <laughs> because he is so 100% into her grabbing him. And she's like, no, let's, let's do the Ferris wheel. And Nancy's, and she, because she's just not into doing more of the, the roller coaster. And it's like, okay. So they get on the Ferris wheel and they're talking about like everything that, that Nancy's been doing. And Ned's like, yeah, this, I mean, he enjoys being close to Nancy. So, I mean, from that perspective, this is not that big a deal. And of course they get to the top of the Ferris wheel and the Ferris wheel is making some noise and they get to the top. And of course the bitch breaks and Nancy's like, so I've got a fashion show I'm supposed to be at this afternoon because it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like it's three days in a row. And then they do like a grand finale that night. So she has to be there like three days in a row for it. So she's like checking her watch and she's like, oh shit, I really need to go soon. But like, they're trying to work on the Ferris wheel and not really succeeding. So at one point, the Ferris wheel does like a complete turn, but it's going really fast. And there are kids in the car that is just the next one to Ned and Nancy's. And they're and one of the kids is like, fuck it. I'm just going to jump. Like, they're just fed up with all this shit. And Nancy's like, no, no, it's okay. Let's just, let's just calm down. And, and look, there's a photographer here. Like, smell pretty for the photographer. And like, the kid's like, okay. And so there's a news, like newspaper reporters have shown up by the time they actually get to the ground. And one of them is down there with a photographer who was like, let me get a picture of you. And Nancy's like, no. And they try to duck out of the way. Like Ned actually tries to get them out of the frame and everything. But somebody does manage to snag a photo of the two of them, which I was like, for her scrapbook. Yes. Anyway. The next morning in the newspaper is a picture of Nancy and Ned on the cover and the story about how Nancy bravely saved two children who were stuck on the Ferris wheel. And Nancy's like, first off, this is utter bullshit. Second, everybody's going to think that I'm trying to like drum up publicity for the fashion show. And Hannah's like, which is not the worst thing in the world? And Nancy's like, "Uh, okay, you're not wrong. But she's still irked by it. The second night of the fashion show, yeah, the second night of the fashion show, um, Ned's there, and the crowd goes wild when she, when Nancy comes out, because she just looks like, she's just rocking it, she's just rocking it, y'all, but also, and I think this happens, like, there's some sort of disturbance, like, while she's on stage, or, like, right after she gets off stage, and it's the pickpocket, it's the fucking pickpocket, like, that, that dumbass who she keeps seeing in crowds and keeps waving his handkerchief at her, um, she sees somebody that matches that description running away, and so she pursues them while still wearing the fucking dress, which is exactly the where her head would be at at this point. So, so she runs after him, and he like throws some fucking barbed wire into her path, and she like runs into it because she doesn't see it. It's around a corner, and she rips up her fucking dress, and she looks down. And she's like, "Oh shit, oh shit." So she, the pickpocket, of course, gets away. Nancy goes back, and she's like, "Um, funny story." Yeah. So like Catherine's like pretty much in tears because Nancy has not finished out the three nights. Like she's fucked up the dress before the grand finale and Helen's there and Helen's like, well, maybe we can like, I mean, these parts are okay. We we would just need to swap out these parts. And Nancy's like, and I will help because I fucked this up. So the three girls like go back to Catherine's workshop and do all they can to get the dress back in order, which again, Nancy, and Nancy says like, I should really stick to mysteries instead of fashion design. Like I'm just, I'm just not an ideal subject. This is just not the thing for me. But anyway, so, okay, we actually need to take a break before I get to get back to the mystery of the missing grandson, which goes along with the mystery of the missing 
well, not the missing, I guess, the phantom pickpockets, and also Winter Nancy and Negan and Bang, like the perpetual mystery. And I've got an answer for you. <laughs> More like I've got the answer for if I were going to write a missing scene from this book, when I would have them banging. So we'll do that after the break. Okay, two things. So 17,000 things. Let's be legit here. Nancy is coming back home on foot, of course, because again, if she's not on a bike, she's on foot. Um, at, Earlier in the book, when she looks in through her father's study window and sees that he's seated at his desk and there's somebody seated in the chair facing him holding a gun on him. And he's like, you need to you should do this or you'll be sorry or some shit like that. And Nancy hears that and she like fucking picks up a rock, throws it through the window so that it hits the man on like on the hand that he's holding the gun with to knock the gun out of his hand. And she rushes in there like, I'm going to fucking save you. And her father's like, uh, this guy just found out I had an antique gun collection and wanted to sell me a gun. And that ends up being the jackass who was like, no, it's me. I'm waving a handkerchief. I'm not actually the pickpocket where eventually Nancy's like, this guy is in too many places at the same time. Like, she'll see somebody, and she'll pursue him, and he'll wave a handkerchief, and so she's like, oh, okay, and then she'll see somebody else, and she's like, oh, this must be the guy, and she'll pursue him, and then he waves a handkerchief, and she's like, this just isn't adding up. Like, she eventually figures out that, yeah, these two guys look really similar, but the that prick can't be as innocent as he's pretending he is. So, anyway. Which, again, if Nancy has, like, a gut bad feeling about somebody, she is 99.9% accurate. So she needs to just lean in on that. The second thing is that Francis Baum finally gets in touch with Nancy and is like, hey, girl, hey, um, I heard that you found something out of my wallet. And Nancy's like, yeah, um, yeah, why don't you come to my house and pick it up? And he's like, hell yeah, maybe we could get a drink later. And Nancy's like, why don't you fuck off? So anyway, Francis comes over with a giant police dog. Like the books refer to these as police dogs. And I was like, this is means German Shepherd, right? And yes, it means German Shepherd. But um, yeah, but this one is just like fucking out of control. So he, like, uh, tries to attack Hannah, tries to attack Nancy, like, two or three times, tries to attack Carson, like, twice, so he's just a bitch, so, but anyway, Francis comes in, and he's, they're like, oh, we're just having breakfast, and he's like, oh, I could, I could take a bite to eat, and Nancy's like, okay, because, again, because of the picture, she's like, this could be Madame Alexandra's, which, every time I do this, I'm like, Madame Alexander, like, I think of the doll designer, but anyway, um, She's like, this could be the old lady's grandson, the madame's grandson, but he's just, like, super uncouth. Like, his table manners are atrocious. He's, he's not good at, he's, like, not smooth. He's not debonair. He's just, like, pretty much trash. <laughs> also, he keeps hitting on Nancy. And she's like, I'm, I ain't here for that. He's, he's got definite pickup artist vibes. He's definitely got incel vibes. So, um, they invite him in and Nancy's like, oh, so where'd you get the picture? And he's like, oh, well, um, the woman who raised me gave it to me and I don't remember much about my early life and she died when I was little, but, um, she left this letter with me and basically to prove his bona fides. And so Nancy's like, okay, well, if you could show us that, then, then we might be able to give you the picture back. And he's like, uh, okay, well, I'll bring it by later. And Nancy's like, he's not going to be able to prove any of this shit. But he comes by with his giant police dog and the letter and a little, like, stuffed lamb toy that he says belonged to him when he was a baby. And Nancy's like, okay. So she takes that over to Madame's house. And Madame is like, oh, my God, yes, this is his toy lamb. And Nancy's like, how the fuck would he have the toy lamb if he didn't, if he wasn't the right person? Which she hates because she hates this dick. Like, she is 100% not here for this dick. So, oh, literally or figuratively. So, she reluctantly tells her, she's like, I might have found your grandson. And the woman's like, oh my god, bring him over here right now. And Nancy's like, May, uh, there, he's got this police dog who is kind of a prick. And 
the old lady's like, oh my God, I've got, I've got a lot of stuff around here. I, I'm not, I don't want, I don't like dogs. And Nancy's like, well, why don't you just like maybe put some of your really expensive shit away, wink, wink, and I will tell him to get rid of the dog. And that's a good compromise. <laughs> so anyway, so she again, reluctantly tells Francis that, oh, okay, well, I've found your grandmother. So the grand Anna, who is Mrs. Alexandra's maid, is like, let me just hide some shit. I'm just saying. So she puts a lot of the more expensive stuff out of the way, including the Fabergé egg and the jewel box and like pretty much all the high ticket stuff that she can find. She just puts away so that the the new guy's not going to find it because she also was like, I don't know about this guy. So they have like this elaborate dinner to welcome him home and the old lady like will not hear anything against him she's like well he doesn't look much like his father but you know he was just a baby when we left and blah blah um so Nancy's got like a really bad feeling about this but the one's like oh you you move in here and like I'm gonna take care of you because I've missed you so much and so and she starts calling him Michael because that was the name of her grandson so from this point on he'll be Michael um He's just, like, fucking the worst. Like, very soon after he moves in, he starts pawning her shit. Which, Nancy's like, maybe she told him to pawn her shit? So she actually goes back to the house, and Anna's like, yeah, she has legit been giving him stuff and telling him to pawn it. Like, that's real. But also, the money he's been bringing back has not been nearly what this shit is worth. And so Nancy gets a list, and she goes back to Mr. Faber, and she's like, so he sold this to you for how much? And she finds out that he's been keeping, like, two-thirds of the money, four-fifths of the money, and then just giving her back, like, he might pawn something for 300 and give her back 100 for it. And Nancy's like, that's still not proof because she might have told him the old lady might have told him to just keep the money and just give her part of it. But Nancy's also reluctant to bring it up with the old lady because she doesn't want to like start any shit. And also when she tells, when Nancy tells her dad, he's like, uh, yeah, you want to be really careful about that. Because again, if she's giving it like of her own free will to a family member, like that's kind of tricky. So, and Nancy's like, okay. Uh, there's another point in this book where Helen has arranged this, like, super secret getaway at Star Island. And you're like, of course. Star Island also sounds like something that, J- like, Jim and the Holograms would be hitting up. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Star Island. Or, like, a level on Super Mario World. Um, so, yeah. So, they're going to have this picnic, like Hannah's packed a big old lunch hamper, and Ned's coming along, and this is also the first instance of Bert and Dave being Bess and George's escorts, and we learn absolutely nothing about them. <laughs> They're just like the plus ones that Helen's picked out for them. Um, Buck Rodman, who is supposedly like Ned's roommate or has been Ned's roommate at Emerson, is dating Helen. So he comes along. They've got a few other guys. And like as soon as they're about to pull away from the docks, like they're in two separate boats. Um, Ned's driving one of them and Nancy's in that boat. Um, Michael, the prince, and imagine the air quotes. Imagine the scorn just dripping off my voice. Um, He's like, oh, my God. Um. I, I want to come. Let me let me come with you on your picnic journey. And Nancy's like, can we fucking run over him? Like, internally. Because Nancy has very high-class manners and would never do such a thing. But she's like, yeah, our boat is really crowded. And he's like, oh, I can squeeze on. And he's also got his police dog, who, again, is the absolute fucking worst. Like, he's going to rip your face off. He's going to do it. Um. So Ned's like, this is, this is bullshit. Like, he, he is not here for this shit. He... There was another run-in that they had with this bitch where I can't even remember what exactly happened, but there was one point where Michael was like, hey, what are you doing later to Nancy? And she was like, why don't you fuck the hell off? And she kind of mentions it to Ned, and Ned's like, yeah, I'm going to punch him directly in the face. Like, mm, I ain't here for this shit. So when he, like, gets onto the boat, Ned's like, yeah, I'm going to set you on fucking fire. Like, Ned is not here for this shit. Like, he is super salty. 
like Nancy at one point is like, yeah, I think that I found a missing prince. And Ned's like, as long as he doesn't spend too much time with you, because Ned is not here for that shit at all. Like, yes, I know. I know that it's 2021 and I should not be as completely in love with Ned's high level of jealousy, but I love it. I love that he's like, I just don't want these little bitches around you. You are surrounded by incels and I ain't here for it because I am your man. And I'm like, yes, you are, bitch. Yes, you are. Anyway, they go to the island and they're, they're having a pretty good time. Um, Oh, on the way there, Nancy spots this boat that drives by and it's got this guy who looks kind of sad and a little boy in the boat. Okay. As you know, as you should know by now, like this is the genre of this book. If Nancy sees somebody who looks kind of sad, that person is related to the missing person. Like always, if you see a sad person, then Nancy's like, oh shit, I've been looking for somebody and you are it. So as soon as this person pops up, you're like, oh, the guy who the old lady thinks is Michael is not Michael. And this sad guy is 100% the missing prince. And you're, you are 100% correct on that. Anyway. So here's what happens. The little boy falls off the fucking boat and Nancy sees it and jumps off the boat into the water, saves the little boy from drowning. Um, Bess is like, oh my God, Nancy's not on the boat anymore. And so they have to turn around. And Ned's like, what happened? And he's freaking out. And they pull Nancy and the little boy out of the water. And as soon as they get, like, both of them back on the boat, Ned takes his coat off and puts it over Nancy's shoulders because this is the best book in the history of the world. Um, I was like, oh, my God, he's so sweet. And Nancy, of course, because she's this kind of bitch, takes the coat off and puts it on the little boy because the little boy is also soaked through. And so she actually looks over at Michael, like expecting him to be a gentleman and offer to give her his coat or sweater or something. And he's like, oh, I've my dog like he ain't here for that shit. So so Nancy's just sitting there shivering, you know, as you do. Um, the guy who was driving the boat that the little boy fell out of comes up and he's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so, oh my God, I'm so glad that you saved him. And they find out that his name is Mr. Ellington. And that's about it. Um, I think, I think, yeah, at this point that, um, Catherine, Catherine actually knows who this guy is actually. Um, he's also the guy who was sketching at the fashion show. I can't remember timeline, so I don't know if, if like, they had not been formally introduced at this point, but she had already fallen into his lap. I don't remember what the fuck's happening. It's fine. Um, but anyway, Catherine and Mr. Ellington, like, develop a thing, and it's super cute, and everybody's like, y'all are so cute together, because she's a fashion designer, and he's an artist, so it's perfect, and yes. So anyway, they go out to the island, and they're having fun together, except for Michael is a total buzzkill, and they're all like can we please just set him on fire? Like, he just like, again, he did not bring any food with him. He is stealing sandwiches for his dog, which they're like, I mean, it'd be one thing if he was going to eat them, but he steals like seven sandwiches for his dog. And they're like, I ain't here for this bitch. He's like chatting up people. He's like creeping on Catherine and trying to get her alone and ask her out on a date and shit. And everyone's like, okay, we're done with this shit. So because they figured out that he really wants to impress Catherine. They're like, Ned's like, oh, um, Michael, why don't you run back to the boat and get Catherine's sweater? Cause she's feeling a little chilly. And Michael's like, well, I'm not going to do it for you, but I'll do it for Catherine. And so he goes off and immediately, as soon as he's like out of sight, all the guys like grab all their shit and they're like, let's go, let's go. And Nancy's like, what, what is happening? And they're like, we moved the boats and we're going to strand his ass here. And Nancy's like, I I don't know about this. And they're like, what? There's like a ferry that comes back and forth like every two hours. Like he can just chill his ass for like two hours. Like this, it's not like we're leaving him here to die. Which Nancy's still like not chill with it. But, you know, she also does think he's a total douche. So they're pulling away and Michael hears him and runs up and he's like, no, wait for me, wait for me. And they're like, I'm sorry, we can't hear you. Bye. <laughs> Which I fucking love. I fucking love how fucking petty, like, especially Ned is in this book. He's like, why don't you just burn in hell? Like, I love it. Also, Michael's a total douche, so it's fine. 
Anyway, um, the next day Nancy finds out that Michael's in a super bad mood because he had to like row back with a fisherman and now his hands are chapped because he is not used to this kind of manual labor. And Nancy's like, it serves him fucking right because he was being a tool. Like, I'm not saying that I went along with it, but I am saying that he deserved it. (laughs) Anyway, um, Nancy eventually figures out that the nightingale is saying that the clue is in the jewel box and she figures out how to get into the jewel box and she has to take like the footman's boot off and when she does she finds this little slip of paper in there in the meantime it's the third night of the fashion show (laughs) how does she cram all this shit in how how anyway um I'm pretty sure that they said that after the fashion, yes, after the fashion show, they decided to go on a hayride. They were going to organize a hayride and a little party, and they also wanted to get Mr. Ellington there because Catherine was going to be there, and they really want to hook these two up. Like, seriously, it's like a fucking Shakespeare play. By the end of it, we're not going to have any funerals, but we damn sure want to see an engagement ring on some bitch's finger, so... So, yeah, so they've organized all that. It's the third night of the thing. Um, Nancy, because she's found out what the clue in the jewel box is, which they don't reveal at this point, I will tell you, it's fine. Trust me. Um, Nancy is, like, just floating on a cloud of bliss because she has found a thing that is going to help her solve the mystery. And also, she knows that she's going out on a hayride with Ned later, which I feel, in my heart of hearts, is code for we're going to bang later. So... In my mind, she's happy that not only is she really close to solving this mystery, she's going to get laid. And so, like, everybody sees her up on the stage and they're like, she's so beautiful. Look at her. Like, she's just, like, gazing off to the into the distance, like, looking just super awesome. And they're like, wow, look at her. She's beautiful. And I'm like, hell yeah, she is. She's about to get laid. So... Of course, like, there's awards, and everybody thinks that, like, this local, well-known fashion designer's gonna get it, and then, like, Catherine wins the grand prize, and she's like, oh my god, like, she goes full-on beauty queen who has been crowned, like, she's speechless and can't talk, and Nancy's, like, makes a speech to accept for her, and of course, this is the dress that they had to fucking mend because she ran off and just got caught up in barbed wire, as one does. Oh my god. Anyway, so they accept that, and of course, so Catherine's, like, super excited, and she cannot wait to see Mr. Ellington, because she wants to tell him all about it, and so they go on their hayride, they go on their hayride, and, like, it it doesn't give you much detail, we just know that it's moonlight, and it's very romantic, and afterwards, they're picking hay out of their clothes, and I was like, yeah, they are, buddy, oh, yes, they are. Oh, God, I love it. I just fucking love it. Anyway, um, so they go into, I think it's the Red Lion Inn that they're going into. And, of course, as soon as they walk in, who could, who would be there? But Michael, that bitch. And Nancy's like, cool. Um, cool. Oh, by the way, after they discovered the clue in the jewel box, what it was, and after um, Madam had read it and Nancy had read it, and so they both got excited, Madam was like, Maybe you can get that handsome man who is always around you to help you out with this. And Nancy blushes and she's like, oh, you mean Ned? And the madame is like, yes, him. Maybe you could get him to help you. And Nancy's like, I think that I will. And you're like, "Uh," which honestly to me, like that seemed so very much connected to the fact that she was like basically floating on a cloud of bliss at the fashion show. It's like, Ned's going to help me solve this mystery. And also we're going to bang like it's perfect. I told you. I told you when I started this. <laughs> I'm beclimped. Anyway, so she's talking to Ned, and Mr. Ellington doesn't show, and Michael's there, and Michael's just being a total douche, and he's also still trying to hit on Catherine, who is not here for that shit, and, um, like, Catherine honestly, like, changes seats to sit near Nancy because she's, like, done with this shit, and also she's kind of brokenhearted because she did not expect for Mr. Ellington to break their date because, like, they had made plans. They were going to hang out. It was going to be nice. Also, hay rides. Um, 
so Nancy's like, well, let's just, like, maybe call his apartment and see if he got held up, and no one answers, and then they hear, like, finally the landlord picks up and is like, yeah, he left, like, an hour ago, and Nancy's like, yeah, he should be here, like, this is some bullshit, so they decide to maybe go looking nearby to see if maybe he got, something happened, like, they even call the police, and they're like, hey, have there been any car accidents, they call the hospitals, and, like, there's nothing nothing that they turn up that matches. So Nancy and Ned are walking next to the river that the the inn is next to in the moonlight and Ned's it says in the book like all Ned can think about it is how romantic it is and I'm like, hell yeah. Y'all just banged on a hayride. Like of course you're thinking about how romantic this is. So they're walking along and Nancy of course is like because like I think the night before this happened, um, she went home and there were two men waiting in the bushes who grabbed her and were like, "You need to stop investigating this mystery or else." And Nancy's like, "Or else what, bitch? Like she ain't here for this shit." And then her dad pulls up and so they release her and run away. But he's like, "Okay, these guys are apparently just gonna pull that kind of shit. So please be careful. Like you know, I love you. Please be careful." So when she and Ned are walking, she's being, like, hyper-vigilant and looking around, and she's like, I'm seeing motion in the bushes. Like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. And Ned's like, we're fine. It's, it's fine. It's moonlight. I mean, we could make out a little. And Nancy's like, no, seriously. Like, there's some people that I can see in the bushes near us, and I, I just have a really bad feeling about this. So they actually run together back to the inn. And Nancy's like, look, I was going to wait on this, but she overhears Michael on the phone, like, how is my dear grandmother? And he sounds like he's being super sarcastic. And so she's like, I've, I've got a, just a really bad feeling about all this. Ned, will you help me? And Ned's like, I will do anything for you. Like immediately. He's like, name it. And it's done. And Nancy's like, okay, so I need you to grab Michael and we're going to need to basically kidnap his ass. And Ned's like, girl, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm, I'm ready to rough that bitch up. Like, I've been here for that shit. So, so Ned and Buck and a few of the other guys grab him and they wrestle into the ground. And Nancy's like, please remove his shoes and socks. And he's like, what the fuck? But anyway, they do. And Nancy looks at his feet and she's like, yeah, you're an imposter. And he's like, I am not an imposter. What are you talking about? I had the little lamb toy and I had a letter from my Nana and Nancy's like, yeah, you're a fucking imposter. Like, what the what the fuck is going on with your grandmother right now? Like, just tell me the fucking truth. And so eventually he's like, yeah, I'm an imposter. And Nancy's like, oh my God, okay, what is going on with your grandmother? And he just clams up at that point. And he's looking for a chance to get away. And Nancy's like, let's call the cops and get him thrown in jail. And we need to go check out what's going on with Madam right away. So... Uh, Nancy, Ned, Catherine, and I think Buck head back to River Heights. They go to Madam's house and the whole place is pitch black. There's no lights on in the house. And when they go inside, they find Madame and Anna tied up and the entire house has been ransacked and everything's gone. Everything's gone. Every fucking thing is gone. All of it. All of it. Um, Madame has been like tied up. She's face down on her bed and it's just like super creepy. And Nancy walks in and she's like, oh my God. And they call a doctor and they're like, should she go to the hospital? Because like, what if they come back? And what if she's like going through some shit? Like we'd have to get somebody out here. So they go to the hospital and um, Catherine's talking to Anna, who is, who says that like, there were two guys who broke in, they were wearing masks. And Nancy's like, okay, so I'm pretty sure that the pickpockets are involved here. So, after all this happens, um, like after they've gone to the, they've reported this to the police, they reported that everything's missing to the police. Um, they didn't have dinner, which food is a huge part of these books, y'all. Food is just a huge part. So like Ned's like, yeah, I'm famished. I, I could do for some food. And like the Madame is in good condition, like, you know, she's going to be okay, like, she's, it's not touch and go anymore, she's going to be okay, she just needs some rest, Anna's okay, so they decide to leave the hospital and go to this, like, all-night diner. In the meantime, like, they're thinking about what they're going to order when that, that prick who has been waving his handkerchief this entire book, uh, walks in and there's a cop following him and he's like, oh, 
look, no, there's Nancy Drew. She'll vouch for me. Which, again, remember, like, this is this is the guy who, like, he knows Nancy's reputation. Side note, there's a point earlier in the book where Nancy, like, goes by the police station to see how the pickpocket thing is going. And she's like, yeah, I've got some some what I feel are probably some good leads about the pickpocket. And so she tells Chief McGinnis, who, well, he's not chief in this book, but anyway, it's McGinnis, who then looks at his officers and he's like, you're not going to let Nancy Drew show you up on this, are you? And and they all laugh, except for these two young cops who are like, who look uncomfortable, like they actually think that Nancy could kick their ass, which she 100% could. But like right after that point is when the two guys grab Nancy in her front yard and threaten her to get off the case. And Nancy's talking to her father about it. And she's like, maybe it was those two assholes. <laughs> maybe it was those two cops who were like, I don't want her to steal my job. <laughs> and Carson just laughs. <laughs> He's like, maybe so. <laughs> like, it's really interesting to me. Like Nancy has like a really good relationship, especially with Ma- with McGinnis. But there's also this element of, but I can wipe the floor with all y'all. Anyway, so the cop pursues the prick into the diner. He's like, no, no, Nancy Drew's here. She'll vouch for me. And he takes out the handkerchief and wipes. And he's like, see, and Nancy's like, arrest this man because I finally figured it out like you and a person who looks a lot like you have worked out some sort of signal so that one of you picks somebody's pocket and the other one like creates a diversion and the cops get confused because they've got two guys who look really similar to each other they search one of you don't find the stuff on you and then they just let you both go And he's like, how did you figure it out? Nancy's like, because there was one point where I saw both of you, but it was too far away for it to have been one of you. And you both waved your handkerchief at me. So suck it. (laughs) Anyway, so they have found one of the pickpockets. And he also admits that he was one of the people who ripped off Madame. So they go to his apartment and find all the shit that was stolen pretty much. And, and... The money that was stolen from the boys club donation and like all this shit, all this shit that's been stolen throughout this entire book, because that's how this works. Whenever there's a crime spree, it's exactly one person. It's usually a gang of white people (laughs) and we're going to recover all your shit. Just know that. Just know it. Anyway, at this point, I don't think Nancy slept. (laughs) Like, they went to an all-night diner. They were so excited about everything that they had to go to the police station immediately and identify all of this shit. And then they go back to Madame Alexandra's house and make sure that all of it's put back in place so that when she gets home, it'll all be there, etc. So the last thing that happens is it's, it's the next day, like, that they had the red line in where Mr. Ellington was supposed to show up and he never did. And Nancy's like, I've got a feeling about this. So... They decide to retrace his steps because, like, they can't find any sign of him. They see a car that's been forced off the road. They see, like, signs of a struggle where it looks like some stuff's been knocked over. And they follow the tracks to the river where they find, like, this little boathouse or something. And there's somebody outside who's like, don't come any closer. You'll pay the consequences. And Ned's like, I'm going to fuck you up. (laughs) I love him. I love him so much. Anyway, um, they have a flashlight that they managed to get. And so Ned's like, Ned has it to Nancy and he's like, okay, when I, when I give you the signal, flash this in the guy's eyes and I'm going to tackle his ass. And Nancy's like, seems legit. So, <laughs> so that's what they do. Um, Catherine's with them and this other dude who it doesn't matter. He's another warm body. He's a red shirt. Um, so Ned tackles the guy. They go into the boathouse. The guy manages to struggle and get away, but Ned and the red shirt managed, which I think red shirt is also a football term. So I think it still works here. It works on two levels. We don't care who he is. And also he tackles shit. So anyway, um, so Ned and the red shirt handle the, the bad guy while Nancy and Catherine go into the boathouse and they find Mr. Ellington in there who has been tied up for like 24 fucking hours. He has no shoes on or socks. It's very, it's very undignified. (laughs) And I was like, girl, that's the least of your problems. Like it is humiliating to have no shoes. You're not wrong about that, but like, what the fuck? And also 
they never fucking explain, like, why they would have kidnapped his ass. I gotta be honest with you. They never fucking explain it. Like, in terms of the plot, it makes sense because we needed him to be in peril because he is, of course, the missing prince, but no one else is really supposed to know that. Um, I think that part of it is because Michael, who is not Michael Francis, and that's not even his real name, um, he knows that, that this is the guy that he stole the stuff from. Because he found an art portfolio, which Nancy's like, ah, and the little lamb toy and the letter and the picture and everything. He found all that when he was on a train going to River Heights. And so Nancy's like, okay, that's a good indication that the person is near here and also possibly an artist. And of course, she's just met Mr. Ellington, who is very cultured and dignified and also sad. So you know that he's a good person. Um, Just like a lot more the way Nancy expected this to be, which... I mean, because we're already discussing it, Nancy has a lot of classist stuff going on because she she perceives the imposter as, like, very working class, and so she has a lot of contempt for him. So do, Hannah has even more contempt. Hannah is very much about enforcing class boundaries. Um, Hannah's like, yeah, his manners are terrible. Like, he's just rattling his silverware. He's got that terrible dog. He's just not at all the way I would expect him to be. And Carson is actually the one who's like, look, you know, he he came over here when he was a baby. He hasn't had that kind of upbringing and lifestyle and even whatever short version of it he had. Like, he's had to work. So maybe, like, get off his jog for a second. I'm just saying. But, like, both Nancy and Hannah are like, I just don't like him at all. Like, he's not, he does just has terrible manners in every possible way. Which, again, he's acting like a fucking incel. So, from that perspective, yes, you should be suspicious of him. But anyway, they find him in the boathouse. Um, they untie him. He sees Catherine. Like, there's... They're like, yes, we are 100% into each other. And Nancy's like, so funny story. I need to look at your foot. And so she looks at his foot and she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know where your grandmother is. Um, <laughs> so, of course, he is the missing grandson. He's, and the way that they know it, and this was horrifying to me. There were, he has a mark on his foot and it's a, a letter A that a doctor fucking carved into the sole of his foot. That was what that note said, the one that they found on the footman. It said that a doctor, right before they fled, had carved an A into the sole of the grandson's foot so that they would be able to identify him, which is fucking horrifying. And at first I was like, because it said, like, I've left a mark, and I was like, did he fucking tattoo him, which is almost worse. Like, they're both bad. They're both fucking bad. But anyway, so he's still got a scar in the shape of an A on the sole of his foot for that reason. So now they know that that's the real person, not the imposter. And, of course, he's, like, he discusses things that only he would know. Like, he talks about a hall of mirrors and all this stuff. And so there's this huge, tearful reunion at the end of it. And... I bet you'd forgotten this by now, that it's Carson Drew's birthday. That's right, bitch. It's Carson Drew's birthday. So at the end of the book is when Nancy finally um, manages to have the birthday party for her father. If you may remember, the reason that Nancy even went to Mr. Faber's store in the very first place was because she wanted to find, like, the perfect gift for her father. Remember the last birthday gift she gave him was a portrait of herself. Which she then damaged and had to repair by herself. Because that's just how she rolls. Anyway, um, Mr. Faber got Carson a gentleman's box. Which I was like, is this code for some sort of sex thing? But anyway. <laughs> uh, Mr. Faber tracked it down. And it's actually one that his own father made. His father, because remember, Fabergé eggs is apparently very skillful. So it's like fucking beautiful. It's got like this inlaid stuff going on it's it's fantastic and Carson's looking over it and he's like this is just magnificent like I did not expect anything this fancy like I love it and he touches it and manages to find a secret compartment guess what's in the secret compartment guess guess if you guessed the formula for 
enamel that can't break, pat yourself on the back. That Chekhov's gun is paying off, y'all. It's going off. Um, of course, like, Mr. Faber's father was involved in the creation of this bitch, and so that's where he hid it, because his father, like, oh my god. Anyway, so they look at it, and they're like, oh my god, this is gonna make somebody a bunch of money, and so Ned's like, Nancy should be president of the company that does this, because, yeah. So she's like, no, let's all just, we will, um, basically form a corporation that, that produces enamel that can't break, and we'll all be shareholders, and everyone's like, that sounds perfect. <laughs> Which is just bonkers. Like, everything about this is just fucking bonkers, but it's fine. Um, also, of course, Mr. Ellington has become engaged to Catherine. How long have they known each other? Fuck you for asking. <laughs> when you know, you know. And that's why, honestly, I want to believe that Nancy and Ned have been engaged this entire fucking time. Um... He gave her a ring that belonged to his mom, and I was like, so when he was smuggled out of the country as a tiny royal baby, he managed to hang on to that engagement ring? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm down for it. Um, but also, they become engaged before Catherine knows that he is a lost prince. And if you're asking yourself, if they're in the United States and there was a revolution, I've got questions. There's all this stuff in here about royal blood. There's all this stuff about, like, how Madame is clearly royal, how she's so aristocratic, how she's just, like, there's this almost disturbing level of reverence that Nancy and her friends have for her. Like, it's just very, like, oh, you are somebody, so we're going to treat you as though you are somebody in a way that we wouldn't maybe treat somebody else who we didn't perceive this way. But anyway, um... Catherine only knows that Mr. Ellington is just, like, super artistic and fantastic that way and also a good all-around person. And then at this event at Carson's birthday party slash grand reunion for the grandson slash look, we found the key to unbreakable enamel. Um, That's when she finds out the guy that she's engaged to is also a lost prince. So, good times all around. Oh, my God. Ned's even there. I mean, like, again, Ned's going to be part of this corporation that is making this enamel and also he's going to make banks so that he can finally propose to Nancy in the way to which she has become accustomed in the back of a hayride (laughs) anyway um so yeah this is the last episode for season three season four is going to pick up next week with whitewater terror and I'm so fucking thrilled to share that book with you because oh my god oh you thought the hayride was good. Oh, shit, son. Oh, shit. Like, I I really can't emphasize enough how much I fucking love that book. So, anyway. So, that's what we're going to pick up with next time. I hope you enjoyed this season. Um, If you want to let me know how you're feeling about things on Twitter, you 100% can do that. But, anyway, stay sleuthy, my friends.